Well, happy Mother's Day, everyone. I just want to be able to say happy Mother's Day to my mom. Right there, right. Happy mom. Happy mama day. Um, and happy Mother's Day. My wife's up here, and so happy Mother's Day for my kids. Uh, my, not our kids. <laughs> Thank you. Our daughters, uh, happy Mother's Day. And we're starting a brand new series called Parenting in the 21st Century. So this is for parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles. This is for anybody who has any kind of influence on uh, raising or uh, influencing an infant, child, teenager, student for life. And uh, because parenting is such a difficult thing, I felt like I did not have the chops to preach this by myself. So I dragged my <laughs> wife up here. So because this is a difficult, yeah. Right. Thank you. Yeah, uh, yeah, they love you. And so uh, I'm going to have you up here more often then. Uh, no, no, so it's a difficult subject. So that's yeah. why I'm bringing you up here to help us. It is a very difficult subject. And just to give you guys a little bit of background, so we have two girls. They are 17 and 14, both in high school. Mm -hmm. And um, so we are on the verge of becoming empty nesters here in a couple years. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad. I don't know. <laughs> right. uh, but parenting, yeah, it's, I would say it's probably the, the hardest job. I mean, you are modeling for your kids. You are raising them. You're loving them. They look to you for everything. So it's definitely, it's, it's the, the hardest job. And um, I remember after we had Sydney in the hospital, and they're like, hey, it's time to go home. And I'm like, no, it's not time to go home. I'm like, I need another night, maybe a week here, <laughs> right. you know. And they're like, nope, here you go. And uh, yeah, so it's hard. And, you know, just because I have a parent doesn't mean I know anything about parenting. And just because I was a kid doesn't mean I know anything about raising one. And um, so... Parenting, I'll say, has been the most joy-filled anything that I've ever done. But it also has a lot of heartbreak, too, with it. Right. And I think what makes parenting also very difficult is that there's so many different approaches to parenting. And we can sit here and talk about so many different approaches. And a lot of what impacts our parenting is our family of origin. You know, whether you had amazing parents and you want to model after them or if you're like, I, I want to do the opposite of what my parents did to me. And so our family of origin really impacts our parenting. And not only that, but you have different ki you have kids, and they have different personalities. And so if you've got parenting figured out with one kid, that you have a second kid, and you quickly find out, oh, that strategy won't work on them. <laughs> and, and so you, you, you just it's so it, you have to adjust your strategy. And not to mention, ladies and gentlemen, in the 21st century has not made parenting easier. Would you agree? It has made it more difficult and complex. And, and one reason I, I say this to people is uh, with the invention of this technology that you hold in your hand, your phone, it is so easy for you to look stuff up. And so for the very first time, get this, for the very first time in human history, parents are no longer the source of information Google now is. So as parents, our, we have a new position. We're not the source of information. Now we're, we need to assume the, uh, a position of filtering the information. And so it makes just uh, parenting so much difficult. I think that's why we need something to focus on and a, a target, so to speak. Yeah, I feel like in parenting, we, we need a target or we need a goal. Um, 
it, you know, like when you're, when you're playing a game, whether it's a board game or in sports or, or whatever, there's a goal that you're getting to. You know if you win or lost in the end, you're going to know. But with parenting, there's not that. Like, if we don't have a goal, how do we know if we're losing or if we're winning in parenting? Because right. we, don't, we don't have a goal. And when we don't have a goal, we start to look in different areas. We start to compare ourselves to, oh, their parenting is amazing. Oh, their kids are amazing. Look at them. And we start looking in all different ways. And then we just start comparing. And then it just becomes this huge down spiral of, of comparison. And then we've all had those great, amazing parents, or we've seen them, or maybe you were raised by one, or your grandparents were one, and, and they're just amazing. Seems like they have it all together. They've got it going. And, um, and you ask them, you're like, man, what is it that you did? How did you raise such amazing kids? And they're like, oh, I don't know. I just did it, or it was just intuition, or I just loved them. And you're like, well, that doesn't help me any. Right. And, uh, uh-huh. and, and so hopefully today we can help put into words what they weren't able to put into at what made them such great parents. And uh, we, we by far are not experts by any means, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> but we hope to, today, we can't completely fill your cup for you, but we promise that today we're going to completely empty our cup into yours today. Right, and so to kind of frame our conversations, uh, we're going to look at a scripture in Luke chapter 2. And uh, I, I absolutely love this scripture, and I think this is going to help frame what is it then? It, it, it's a, it, I guess it frames the conversation of the importance of having uh, a target for a parent. Uh, what are we aiming towards? Yes, yeah, so we're starting in a Luke chapter 2 with verse 41, and it says that every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. Now, what's interesting about this scripture is um, this is one of the few scriptures that mention Jesus at a young age. I mean, you have the the birth narrative, you know, in in Luke chapter 1, but then all of a sudden you have... He's, he's a teen, almost a teenager and, and really don't have any other uh, stories about Jesus as a teenager. I would have loved to have those stories. Uh, maybe it's better not to because we would have said, look, look at Jesus and the way he treated his parents, right? So maybe it's better that we don't have that. But this interesting thing that this is a, a normal pilgrimage that people would come from, uh, and of course they were from Nazareth. So they're going from Nazareth to Jerusalem, and Jesus is about 12 years old uh, to attend this festival. And verse 43 says that uh, after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. And then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. Now, I don't know about you, but, but right off the bat, this is like a parent's worst nightmare. You know? and, and you're thinking, well, how did they not know? Uh, oftentimes, we have to understand that people, when they, they, you would never travel by yourself. You would always travel in a big caravan because there's safety in numbers. And so there was probably a big group of people, and so they just assumed Jesus was with them. But can I just pause and say here, I immediately feel better as a parent. <laughs> Does anybody feel better about your parenting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we lost Kennedy in Canada. So we, we can't say that we, I mean, uh, okay. it was like 10 minutes. So okay. She was gone for like 10 minutes, but yeah, so, we, so, did, we did yeah, lose her. We too. did lose Kennedy for 10 minutes in yeah. Canada. 
Uh, and if you want to talk to her about that, then oh, she uh, will gladly tell she you. She will tell you, tell you the story. how she's still, she's still, when she sees a maple leaf, she kind of has a reaction. <laughs> uh, no. uh, yeah, maybe not. Um, okay, uh, verse 45, it says that when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. And verse 46 says, uh, after three days, they found him in the temple courts sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Now, again, could, could you imagine that you're looking for him, and it's taking three days to find him? I mean, he's 12 years old. I mean, as a parent, I could only imagine the heartache and just the fear. And when they find him, he's in the temple talking theology with the other rabbis. I mean, I could just only imagine them coming uh, to that scene and just thinking to themselves, Jesus, I don't really care about how you're doing this with this discussion. We were looking all over for you. Okay. And then uh, we're, we're on 47. Okay. <laughs> Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Everyone was amazed. But guess who was not really concerned about the teaching <laughs> but wanted to say, where were you? It's his mama. In verse 48, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And then it continues, um, verse 49, why were you searching for me? He asked, did you not, did you, didn't, sorry, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Right. They didn't get it. They didn't fully understand. Why? Because I think this is the tension that as parents we live in, that we're so busy parenting that we're not, we're so busy trying to make sure they get to soccer practice. We're trying to make sure they get their lunch, that we're trying to navigate this. We're trying to make sure that they're not on their phones too much. Where there's so much complexity, we're so busy parenting that we're forgetting that there is a purpose, there is an aim to, the, to parenting. And for Mary and Joseph, as amazing of a parents as they were, they lost and they didn't see what Jesus was really all about, that he was even missional, even as a tween, as a 12-year-old. Okay, in verse 51, then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Verse 52, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And I, I love verse 52. I mean, what a great verse to say that he grew in favor with God and with man. And I feel like if that's ever a thing for his parents, that's something to help us aim for. But so the question is, what is the aim of parenting? What, what is that aim? What is the target? So we're going to have a little target up here. And let's discuss what does that target look like? Yeah, I mean, we, we have to be careful of what we put in uh, the center of the target. And some may say, oh, it's definitely, it's obedience. Obedience should be at the center of the target. And it, obedience, it's good and it's very valuable, uh, but I wouldn't say that it's the goal. I would say that obedience, it's a means, but it's not an end goal. Right. Uh, and another thing where obedience is absolutely very important, uh, but another thing is compliance. I think oftentimes, and especially the, the younger your kids are, how 
the highest compliment you can get as a parent is when you're at a restaurant and someone comes up to you and says, your kids are so well behaved. Don't you just sit there and go, that's right. I'm an amazing <laughs> parent of well-behaved kids. Like you didn't tell them what happened in the car right before you got to the restaurant. And, and, and sometimes, and I think compliance can easily filter its way to become a target, but it's not a good enough target. Well-behaved kids I think is great but unfortunately, sometimes I think our desire for well-behaved kids almost puts too, so much pressure that we put more pressure on our punishment when we're in public versus if we're trying to bring correction at home. <laughs> you know, we'll threaten our kids, don't you dare make me look bad in Walmart this morning, right? <laughs> it's like the threat because I'm more worried about what people will see in me like because I believe my kids are a reflection of me. And sometimes that puts way too much pressure in, instead of understanding that we're going to have moments and the kids are going to blow up and, and they're going to they're gonna embarrass us. But we should care less about what other people think of our parenting and more of how are we raising our kids. So compliance is great, but it's not as good as the target that we need. So what is the target? Like, if you're like, okay, just tell us what the target is now. Uh, so the goal, the goal of parenting is relationship. It's all about relationship. And if, if our goal is relationship, then we need to approach parenting, uh, parent with a relationship in mind. Right. And I mean, you know, in, in a few years when our girls go off to college or they move away or, or whatever they decide to go do, like, we want them to come back and enjoy being with us. They, we want them to want to go on vacations with us and hang out with us, not only no longer because they have to, because they want to. And uh, parenting with the relationship in mind, it leads to better relationships all around. And um, so as we do that and as we think about that, it's kind of like a, a charge that we can give ourselves that we got to fight for the heart of our kids, fighting for their heart. And Determine where your battles are to put all that energy into what it may, where, what that looks like for you. But it's got to be, it has to be sustainable through all the stages of parenting from the beginning to the end. It has to be sustainable and it has to be able to, you can continue through all of it. I, I love that. Just the idea of wherever I am, if I'm disciplined, if I'm having a conversation or communication or talking about faith or talking about politics with my kids, I want to always keep in mind, I want to fight for the heart. And I guess a great example of this would be Jesus. Uh, so for you and I as followers of Jesus, let's ask the question, well, then how did Jesus fight for our heart? How did Jesus fight for our heart? What did that look like for us? Um, I, I love that the disciple John, as he's putting his kind of his gospel account together, he starts off in John chapter 1 with this key verse. And I just absolutely love it. It's so convicting. He said this in John chapter 1, verse 14, about Jesus. He said, the word, and again, he's talking about Jesus, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of, help me, grace and truth. One more time. Grace and truth. See, what John said is as he's, he's writing this gospel account after the fact, right? He's, he's writing it after the resurrection. He's seen how Jesus interacted 
with those that were difficult to interact with, with those that were very easy to interact with. So John made the observation that in every interaction, it was almost as if Jesus had this full measure of grace and truth, that he wasn't half of one and leaned one to the other, that he was both full-on grace and full-on truth. And maybe one little story that kind of highlights this was there's this moment in John chapter 8, which is just a few chapters from here, where this woman was thrown in front of Jesus, and they said, we've caught this woman in adultery. And so my next question is, where's the guy, you know? in this whole situation. But they, they throw her in front of Jesus because they say the law of Moses says we're to stone her. And so they're trying to trap Jesus. And again, they're trying to trap him saying, hey, where are you going to go, Jesus? What are you going to do? Are you going to lean to grace or are you going to lean to truth? Which, which, which way are you going to go? And so Jesus, what does he do in this moment? He says, he writes some things on the sand and we don't know what he writes, but then he says this, for the person who ha- is without sin, let them cast the first stone. And one by one, the scripture says in chapter 8 that they begin to drop their rocks and stones, and they left. Then Jesus picked up, picked her up and said, where are your accusers, ma'am? And then he said this, go and leave your life of sin. Did, did you just see the dynamic there? That it was both truth, you need to look, go and leave your life of sin, but hey, in, in the midst, I've taken care of those that are condemning you. So Jesus was okay. He was comfortable living in that space of both grace and truth because we would love to lean to one or the other, but he lived in this tension, and as parents, we should be okay living in that tension and and parenting in that tension of grace and truth. It's this idea of the ideal and the real where Jesus would, with his truth, point us to the ideal, but when we fall short, Jesus gives us grace and walks with us with his, with his grace. So he points to the ideal, but he also walks with us in the real. And that's why John 1.17 said that Jesus, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, that he lived in that tension. Because if, if we only choose one or the other, the problem is truth Truth without grace, you know what it does? It creates pretenders and hypocrites. If that's all we're about is making sure we look good and that it creates a, a, a pretend and hypocrite and says it's all about the way you look instead of really heart change. And grace without truth, or yeah, grace without truth creates permissive version of faith that hurts everyone in the end. If we parent Uh, with just grace and we're completely permissive about everything, then we're actually going to be damaging our kids and not providing a boundary for our kids. So it's both learning to live in that tension of both grace and truth. So how did Jesus, how did Jesus fight for our heart? Well, he did it with grace and truth. So how do we, how do we practically apply living or, you know, fighting for their hearts with grace and truth? And Naturally, as parents, we're, you're generally going to lean one way versus the other. So you're going to be strong in one and you're going to be weak in the other. And like for us, I'm strong in grace. It is my strength. Um, and truth is <laughs> your strength. Yeah. I mean, you're like black and white. This is it. This is where we're <laughs> right. going. And uh, I mean, no doubt. So our girls, when there's, they get in trouble with something or they you know, need to tell me something, 
always come to me. They're like, no, I'm going to mom. She's going to be nice about it. She's <laughs> going to. Um, and, and But that's like the, that's the tension that we have to manage together is compromising on that and working together as we raise our girls in both the grace and truth together. And because uh, Jesus, I mean, he never dubbed down the truth, but he never turned down the grace either. Right. He was both. And when you bring both of those together, it is truly very powerful. And um, so as we, we continue to fight for their heart with grace and truth, we, we do it leaning into it. Um, but we also have to understand the nature of the relationship with our children. So your children do not have the same relationship with you that you have with them. So it's, they, I'll just say it again. Your children do not have the same relationship with you that you have with them. So you are, when you're talking with your children, you're relating to a child. You're not relating to an adult. And so we should never talk to our kids the way that we talk to everybody else. And we should talk to our kids, or we shouldn't talk to our kids all in the same way. Just like Justin said earlier, like all your kids are different. They learn differently. They um, you discipline them differently because they're not the same. They're all different. And so you have to figure out what strategies work for one kid, what strategies work for the other kid, and you have to, you have to figure that out. And um, so, it, so that's why also in it that we never argue with your kids. And that's because arguing is for peers and equals when we're on the same playing field. And you're neither with them, like you're the parent and you're relating down to them. And so that arguing causes, it, it doesn't, doesn't get you anywhere. And that's difficult yeah, because you sit is. there, especially the older they get, they're like, oh, I'm going to win this argument. And, uh -huh. and, and the unfortunate thing is arguing is with peers, but we're always relating down. And that's why, because you by force and because you have more life experience, you can always win the argument, so to speak. But you actually lose in the end, but how difficult that mm -hmm. is. And man, I think I needed yeah. that point. Uh, I think I need that point last week is what I needed that point. And so <laughs> let, let's talk about the, the, the third point of fighting for the heart. Uh, what does it look like to fight for the heart with grace and truth? Well, I think it really also depends. And this is, this is kind of difficult to kind of understand sometimes uh, for me is the approach changes through the different stages of parenting. Uh, I don't know if you realize that, but through research, we've kind of looked at that there's about four different stages of parenting. Uh, the first stage is what may affectionately be called the discipline stage, where what does it mean to really be both grace and truth, uh, but fighting for the heart of your kid in the discipline stage is to really focus on teaching your child that there are consequences. There is a right, and then there is a wrong. And I've got to make sure I bring that home in the zero to five. And this is where the struggle, if, if you've ever had a two-year-old, you know the struggle, right? That idea that I got to let you know, you're not the parent. I am the parent. And uh, at two and a half, they think they are the parent and they, yes, they think they run the house, but it's that stage where this is what it looks like to, to fight for the heart of your kid by teaching your child that there are consequences in that stage. Yeah, and as we, as we talk about the stages, I mean, your kids are going to flow from one stage to the next without effort, not even thinking about it. They're just going to keep going, going. But us as parents, we can't. Like, we have to consciously think about, well, right. now they're at this stage, so maybe we should give more freedom here or this. And it's just going to go. And so these stages are, they're like roadmaps. Um, 
as we continue to build relationships with our kids. Because um, when parents, if we don't adjust our parenting as our kids develop, then there, it undermines the influence that we have over our kids. So you can't parent your 14-year-old the same way that you parented them when they were nine, because there's such a, hu a huge difference that you have to adjust as you go through. Right, and the next stage, uh, which actually was my favorite stage, uh, don't tell my teenagers that, by the way, but this is my favorite stage, is the training stage. This is where uh, to fight for the heart of your, of your child is to train while you explain. It's this idea that it's not just about letting them know that I'm the parent, but it's also about explaining why we do and the reasoning behind it. It affects our, the way we communicate. It's the way we affects our discipline. It, it, it affects the way we have our faith conversations with our kids in regards to that 5 through 12 uh, training stage. This is where it can be a little tricky as they get to like towards the end, 11, 12, and then on into the next stage. But it can be really easy to get that friendship going instead of that parent-child right. relationship. And um, so your refusal to be their friend, it, it'll keep the relationship lines from blurring. Um, thus, it protects the emotional well-being of your children. So um, be their parent to, so that they can remain free to be the child and not blur those lines together. Right, because the friendship is later, and later, later is longer, as you'll see in the stages. The next stage is the coaching stage, and that we are fully in oh, the coaching stage. Favorite. Yeah, your favorite, favorite, not mine. Um, but <laughs> co the, the coaching stage is the 12 to 18-year-old, and, and you're focusing on connecting more than correcting. And this is hard for people that lean truth, you know, this idea that, I, I mean, we even had these conversations that there's, there's conversations that we want the, they, our kids needed to have with the teacher. And I was like, well, I need to have that conversation with the teacher because they're not having that conversation with the teacher. And I'm like, let me sweep, sweep in and, and rescue, dad to the rescue, have this tough conversation with the teacher. And Audra was like, no, no, no. It's their conversation they need to have with the teacher. And I'm like, but I'm dad, I'm super dad here. I can come in and I can tell that teacher, you know, <laughs> hey, this is what needs to happen, right? Careful, um, there may be some of them in here. <laughs> do what? There may be some of them in here. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we'll have a talk after service. Uh, <laughs> uh, but no, it's, again, this stage, because again, my favorite stage was the last stage. Because that's when you do, you want to explain, you want to be a part, you're very hands-on. And here, you have to, as a parent, learn to allow them to fail and allow them to have tough issues in life and not protect them from those difficult things because it's here that they can fail in safety. And when they make that big mistake, you're there to be like, hey, I know that's a tough decision and you're dealing with the consequences of that decision, so let's walk through that together. And so this is tough. This is a tough stage for me. So I'll let you know when we're at the end of it. You know, <laughs> it is tough. And, uh, and like we said, you know, your, your strategies are going to change as you go through the stages, but your aim still remains the same. The relationship is still the goal, but your strategies are just changing as you go from one stage to the next. And I mean, and I'll say, I know that you would agree with me that we definitely have failed in some of these. Like Absolutely. there's some areas that we have definitely failed. And um, so we find ourselves, although we're in the coaching stage, we're still having to be a little bit more hands-on in certain areas yeah. just to, you know, cause we're having to not, you can't make up, but we're just 
to fill in where the, the void a little bit was. And um, so, and some of you may be feeling that too, as you're seeing us talk, as we're going through the stages, you're like, man, I didn't, I didn't do any of that. Like I didn't, and now I'm here in, in this stage, or maybe you're even past this stage and you're like, well, great. What do I do now? You know, like right. I'm already past it. And you can't, you can't go back into any of the stages, um, but you can start where you're at right now. Like it's never too late. You can pick up and start where you're at currently. Right, and then of course the last stage is the friendship stage. That's the 18 plus. And you hopefully at this point, and we're on the verge of this, but you hopefully reap the reward of all that sweat equity that you had over the years of pouring into that. And I think this is a tough stage for a lot of parents. Uh, for some parents, when we said we're almost empty nesters, some of y'all were like, woohoo, it's awesome. <laughs> I think for some of us, it's going to be a difficult stage Absolutely. Uh, to, to like, what does that look like? You know, they're, they're 18, they're, they're on their own. And, and what kind of influence do I need to have in their regards? What kind of communication does that look like? Uh, I've been ramping up all these years so that I could really, in a sense, dial it back because we've all seen when parents refuse to go to this stage and they, we start meddling in our kids and then, then we, you know, the, the couples come to the pastor and talk about my mother-in-law or my father-in-law. They're like all up in our business and it's like, it's difficult sometimes to know those boundaries, but this is where, and again, uh, we're, we're not there yet. We're uh, about a year and a half away. Uh, but um, I think this is, this is what we're aiming to. And, and again, look, 18 plus. So how many, when you look at your kids on a spectrum of time, you've got zero to 18, and then from 18 on. Later is so much longer. And so we're setting up, this is, we're setting up for is this stage. Yeah, and if I can just be a little real here, be a little, a little vulnerable, if you want to say that, you know, the ideal is you, everybody wants a two-parent home. I, that's the ideal. But in all reality, if we look at it, um, it doesn't always work out that way. It doesn't always go that way. And, um, you know, I, I was raised in a single-parent home, and my mom, she was amazing. She worked hard. She provided for my sister and I. And, um, but she couldn't, she couldn't be everything, you know, as hard as she worked, she couldn't be everything. And, but the best thing that my mom ever did for me is she got me and my sister plugged into church. We were in every youth program, every kids program. I mean, anything that the church ever offered for kids or youth, she had us in it and she had us there. And I say that because there were leaders and mentors that came and walked beside my sister and I, and they filled in the gap where my mom couldn't fill because she couldn't do it all. But they stepped in and they filled in those areas and those gaps. And that was the best thing that my mom could have ever done for us. And um, parenting has, there's great rewards, but a lot of times as parents, there's just a lot of shame and a lot of guilt that we feel that maybe we didn't measure up in certain areas or we failed in this area. And there's just a lot of shame and guilt sometimes that we feel and it's heavy and it's hard. And, um, and we can, we want to aspire to the ideal, but allowing Jesus's grace to come in and fill us where we are falling short. And um, it's, it's never too late 
and it's never, you, you never want to give up and it's never too late, we can always start right where we're at in this place right now. That's right. It's like the old adage, when was the best time to plant for an oak tree? It was 100 years ago. When's the second best time? Now. And so we can choose now. And so what we'd like to do uh, to kind of close our time together is pray for families. Um, I feel like whenever you're talking about parenting, the 24, and especially this, uh, anytime we're talking about parenting, I immediately feel guilt. You know, I immediately feel, feel like I'm like a failure as a father. I didn't do good enough in this. And, and you're constantly being bound by that. And that guilt can move you to a place of shame where it, it renders you useless. And God's grace wants to come in and say, look, hey, maybe you've absolutely failed. But you can start now. And with God's grace, it's amazing what God can do in a life that says, God, I need you in this moment. And so maybe the best thing we can do as a, as a family this morning is just to be prayed for. And so we're going to be having uh, some prayer partners come to the front in just a few moments. Uh, and in fact, Audra is going to close us out in a word of prayer. But we want to pray with you. If you're, in fact, if, if your, parent, if your uh, kids are grown, we want you to be able to just kind of come up and, and even pray and, and, and kind of process through this. And uh, I don't know where you're at. And I don't know if you came in here and you're thinking parenting in the 21st century. Good. Yay. Happy day. I'm glad you all are talking about this. I don't know where you're at. But I know that Jesus wants to meet you where you're at and with his grace move you to the, to the next place. Amen. Amen. Can we stand up? And Audra, will you close us with a word of prayer? I will. I will. Jesus, we just come to you this morning, God, and we are thankful for this time to be here and thankful for your word, Lord, that, that teaches us at how we can parent in these difficult days, God. And I just pray over each parent that is here, whether they're not even parents, they're going to be parents in the future, or their kids are older, God, I just pray, Lord, Lord, that you will just fill us with your love, God, and get fill us with your reassurance, God, Lord, that you are walking beside us, you are walking with us through our parenting, with our families. And I pray, God, that those of us who are feeling shame and guilt of things from the past or maybe areas that we just dropped the ball in, God, I pray, Lord, that you will come in and you will lift them up, that you will pick them up, God, and show them your love and your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness. And I pray, God, that you will just give them direction, God, give them wisdom of where they can start right now where they're at and where you want to lead and guide them in their families and in their relationships with their children, God. Lord, I just pray all of these things in your name. Amen.